This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast, where we are talking about how to invest. Bottom line, how to invest. Compared to, to you know, what most people do, which is wander around in ignorance and darkness. God, <laughs> I don't want to wander around in ignorance and darkness. Wandering around in ignorance and darkness while being advised by people who are walking around in ignorance and darkness. No, even worse, you're paying to walk around in ignorance <sighs> and darkness. That's the it's worst part. Even worse, even worse. The blind being led by the willfully blind, I think, is one way to think of it. And we can say that because we know, I mean, just pure pure uh, reality, right? We know that Warren Buffett and a large number of people who invest like Warren um, beat the market quite regularly and over long periods of time have outperformed the market. Uh, it's been proven. And we know that modern portfolio theory tells people you can't beat the market, and we know it's wrong. And now, over the last couple decades, there have been three Nobel Prizes awarded to behavioral economists and economists who have proven that Warren Buffett is right, that the market can be irrational, that it's good to buy when there's fear and sell when there's greed. And in modern portfolio theory, which is taught in every school, um, is wrong. And by the way, the little guy has massive advantages over the big guys when they discover that they can actually find great companies on sale if you're willing to be patient. And that's what we're talking about, doing that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's what we're doing. In a nutshell. All right. Cool. In a nutshell. So I'm feeling a bit better, which is letting us finally record. And I apologize for not being on last week, you guys, but as you all listened, I'm sure, to the the uh, episode that we replayed from the vault. And um, and I can now hopefully get through this without coughing, but I may have to cough, FYI, but I will just turn away from the microphone. So what we talked about, Dad, last time is from mid-2017, Amazon and Whole Foods merging. So that was over a year ago something like a year and three months, and we made all sorts of predictions. Well, no. we did. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't want to remind to anybody <laughs> about any of them. Now, we, <laughs> uh, first, I would like to say before we, before we go into what happened over the last year with, these, uh, with this industry, um, I would like to say that we don't really do predictions on a one year or two year basis. We we look at investing as something that's covering a large range of time. Um, when effectively what we're doing is we're trying to put money into an asset with great certainty that it'll be worth more down the road. But down the road, we mean five to 10 years down the road. And essentially what we could say is we know we're going to make money. That's an investment. We know we're going to make money. We just don't know when exactly the rest mm -hmm. of the market is going to do the rational thing. And so 
when we're looking at one year of experience, Danielle, I really do want to make this point, actually, that one year is not any amount of time in the in the investing horizon. It's very easy for the market to be quite uh, wrong about things or not react to things over a one-year period of time or to be right about it. It could be totally right. It's just yeah. that one year is too short a period. When we invest, we really like to use what I call the 10-10 rule which is we don't want to put money in something for 10 minutes unless we're willing to hold it for 10 years Yeah, as if there was no stock market at all. So with that as an introduction. But I think you just said something really interesting because we <laughs> focus on stuff. And by the way, I think we got a lot of stuff right. So this is <laughs> not because we like are like, oh, and everything was wrong. Um, I think people focus on the stuff that you sort of quote unquote get wrong a year later, you know, because that's the <laughs> stuff that, um, I don't know, bugs people. Like, it's like, Oh, you don't want to be wrong. And nobody ever focuses on the stuff you got right a year later that, that may or may not mean anything long term. And I think it's a really great point that you just said that just because things are going well a year later, doesn't mean that you actually made the right call. It doesn't actually mean that things are going to continue to go well. It's, it's a, it's a short term outcome. Well, actually, I was trying to figure out where you were going with that, and then yeah, you you wrapped that quite nicely in in a reverse direction from what yeah, I thought you were going to say. Yeah, but it's but it's true. It's true. You you can um, be right in a one year period of time. Yeah, <clears throat> or a period I mean, that you are. It's something that it's something that bothers me a lot actually. With like, like when our book came out uh, about nine months ago. People, of course, because this is how the financial media works and it drives me nuts because it just means nothing. People would ask me, like reporters would ask me, oh, you know, what are you invested in? What, what have you bought? What do you own? And they would ask you that too. And I just always felt a bit like, what does it matter? You don't have right. any data about me from that because we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we right. don't have 10 years of investing knowledge about my picks, you know? So, and, you know, at the time and, and now, like the stuff that, not that I've bought a lot, but like I bought Chipotle and it did well. And so I remember being on somebody's podcast and I told the host that and she said, oh, that's so fantastic. And then she got all these emails from people, you know, wondering about that pick. And I was just like... That just sort of is counter to everything that long-term investing is all about. So it just kind of bothers me. Oh, you're 100% right, and I'm glad you're bothered by it. It is 100% wrong to think like that. <clears throat> Sorry. But the the press has to think like that because nobody is going to write a story about how wonderfully you predicted things five years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, they might and in a while because well, obviously actually, I'm a total genius at this. I have to say that I, when I went on CNBC in 2010, they were very kind to say, oh, hey, you called it both ways, right? What when do you I'd mean? When I'd been on CNBC before, which means I, I said, hey, I'm getting out of this market in 2007. And then I said, I'm getting back in in 2009. And oh. it's like, you know, they were nice enough to talk about that a, a year later, a year and a half later. But if I went back on there right now, I don't know if they'd remember any of this, right? It's all ancient history. Yeah. And so that's really what's a paradox about good investing. A paradox is that you have to be thinking long term, but everyone, including your own emotions, are going to be thinking short term. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great point. <clears throat> we naturally think short term because, of course, we do. We live in the short term. We live our life day to day. Of course, we right. think like that. And that's where it's so difficult. Like Einstein said that the power of compounding is so difficult to understand mathematically that it's one of these sort of wonders of the world and how it works um, mathematically. And and it's very difficult to see it. It's like, <clears throat> sorry, you're compounding money at a very uh, good rate of return, let's say 15% a year, which is extraordinary. And, you know, you, what does that mean? It means $1,000 becomes $1,150, you know, and that's pretty good, but it's not changing your life any. Um, it's when you look at the impact of that over a 20 or 30 year period of time, it becomes extraordinary. And that's, yeah, exactly. that's a very long period of time for a human being. <laughs> We're built for much, much short, shorter term views of the world. And so every, really everything in our intuition and everything about how we, how, all the way the news works, the way all the, um, I guess all the incentives for people who are investing, they all work on a short term basis. Yeah. You know, it's very And difficult. in a way, I wonder if part of the reason that people find grasping the concept of long-term, I mean, we understand the concept, but really grasping it, how long-term investing is meant to go and really understanding that you're in it for a very long time. It's hard for us, including me, for sure, to wrap my mind around that. I think I still haven't totally wrapped my mind around that. And... Well, Go it's ahead. really important you do because the the, the <laughs> so basic view that we have of the world is that, <laughs> hey, I'm going to buy this thing because it's going to be worth more in 10 years. I mean, that's just fundamental. No, that's what I'm saying is we can understand in. that concept. Yes. Yeah. But really internalizing it and making it go to its full, you know, dragging out the concept to its full conception of, okay, that means that what it's doing a year later doesn't matter because that's what that actually means. Right. But it's hard to get my mind around that. It is. It, it doesn't matter if it hasn't changed the story. Right. Yes, you're right. If it hasn't changed the story. So, I mean, we're a year later with the grocery business. So what did, where do we sit yeah, with so the grocery let's see business? If it's, let's see if it's changed the story or not. Yeah. So, so the largest grocery store chain is Kroger. Okay. Okay. So you want to yeah. dive in there? Or do you want to? You want to? Well, let me just tee it up a face. little bit for. Okay, tee it up a little bit. for everybody. So All and right. for you, for you too, Dad. Yeah. Let's remind ourselves. Let's teeter totter back in time. <laughs> so we recorded that episode on the day that Amazon and Whole Foods closed their deal for Amazon to purchase Whole Foods, and. The main thing we talked about was that Whole Foods has such a strong brand moat that they have a durable, intrinsic competitive advantage because of what the Whole Foods brand stands for, that we thought they would continue to do well and even do better because of Amazon then owning them and Amazon having such incredibly deep pockets that would let Whole Foods make all kinds of changes to its distribution and to its obviously having online ordering and all kinds of ways that the Amazon machinery could lift up the Whole Foods um, back-end systems while still maintaining that Whole Foods brand. As long as they could do that, we thought they would do fantastically. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also talked a bit about some of their competitors. Mm -hmm. And we talked about Sprouts, we talked about Kroger, which you just mentioned, and um, let me see if there's anything else from my notes. That grocery is essentially getting disrupted. That Walmart, Kroger, 
Sprouts for sure are going to have a very hard time competing with an Amazon-owned Whole Foods. So that's our that's our, mm-hmm. that's our prediction. I that's think, the thesis. I think we might have <clears throat> done a good job on that. It might have come out kind of like that. Yeah. My favorite part of that episode was when I couldn't remember the name of any of the Amazon products. And I said something like, oh, that little bot thing that I order paper towels on owned by Amazon. Well, okay. So that's the Alexa, right? That's the Alexa? I don't know. I don't oh, use God. it. Sorry. I don't, I don't have one either. They get, they, everybody has their little bots now and I can't tell them apart. I, so I really want to just talk to my room and tell it to order things, but I don't know how to do that. You know, I, I'm like so anti the sort of all knowing internet of things, but then I totally get it because it's so convenient. So, but uh, I mean, not to be a weird, I mean, yeah, I don't want to be sound like I'm being weird, but if I can talk to something like that in the room and it's over Wi Fi. Doesn't that mean that's, that that thing's listening to me all day long? It is listening to you all day long. Yeah. So anybody that wanted to to just listen to what's going on in my house all day long, who knew how to do the technology, could do that? It's like I got an um, open I don't mic know, in my house. I don't know how hackable it is. But yeah, I mean, essentially, if you if you take the assumption that anything is hackable, yes. It's kind of like how the U.S. government, if you leave your laptop open and have the... Um, the what is the like word? your camera or something thank you the camera <laughs> camera they used to yeah they used to hack into people like you know certain people they would hack if in you and look, had look the camera available camera? they could access it oh and they would just turn it on remotely yeah that was in the um edward snowden leak Ooh. oh yeah so okay so today just today my husband texted me and said there are all these fire trucks heading up the hill towards our house. Is everything okay? And I wasn't at home. And I said, I don't know. I'm not at home. And, and then I realized that we installed a smart smoke alarm the other day. And I said, just check the app and see if the smoke alarm is telling us that there's fire in the house. And the smoke alarm said everything's fine. And so we, then we knew everything was fine. It was amazing. So That's pretty cool. Convenience, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right. We, we took a bit of a detour right there. Yes. Sorry. Internet right, of Things so, is fascinating, though. Like, that's, by the way, Internet of Things. You want my prediction about something? Internet yes. of Things and blockchain are the future of investing. It's, it, that's going to change everything. All right. You'll have to explain both of those to me someday, but okay. not today. Okay. So let's, let's jump in now. We've, let's we've jump sort into of, something we can understand, like grocery yeah. stores. So, I mean, just looking at stock prices, okay, for Kroger's and Sprouts, for example, um, both of them have pretty much, well, um, immediately after the Whole Foods was acquired by Amazon, mm-hmm. I think immediately Sprouts dropped an enormous big chunk of value, right? It went from like 25 bucks a share all the way down to like 17 or 18 bucks. Yeah, and so did Kroger, by the way. And Kroger's also they went crashing down. They all dropped like a brick when the deal was announced. But they have managed to recover back to their their prices when that deal happened. Yeah. So a year ago. So the prices have come back up. And I guess if you thought, aha, Danielle Town is wrong, 
not, I'm not putting my name in there, Danielle Town is wrong, then you would have jumped in and bought Sprouts at 17 or 18 bucks and you would have bought Kroger at whatever they were selling for. What's Kroger selling for? About that time period, Kroger was selling for, wow, it got down to $20. It went all the way down from 30 to 20 So you would have bought there and you, right now you'd look like a genius, right? Because you bought it 20 and now it's at 29 That's a lot of money right there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And same Whatever with Sprouts. Sprouts was up like that too. Sprouts was down at, uh, my chart's a little hazy on the numbers exactly, but somewhere around like 18 or 19 and is now <laughs> up at like 24. Yep. Well, I should say they were up at like 27, 28. So that's the real price that they were up at. But then they just had an event recently, which we'll talk about in a second. Right, which is um, kind of to the point, actually. But um, Kroger's, I was just taking a look at their numbers, and and they're they're basically, I mean, they're 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 doing decent with owner earnings. It's not horrible. Ballpark, they do something called uh, restock Kroger, which is real interesting. And they're and they're ten in their 10Q, 10K filing, they're talking about restocking Kroger, um, which is actually their version of free cash flow. I found that quite cool. So Kroger is paying a lot of attention. Hmm? Well, tell me about that. What does that mean? Their version well, of free cash flow. Well, it means that they're actually trying to figure out what the true dollars in their pocket are that they have available to grow the chain with. And they're giving it a name that's a not a gap name. Like they're not calling it free cash flow. They're calling it restock Kroger. That seems really weird. Doesn't that seem ultra weird? It was really cool. Weird? It made me, me kind of like the Kroger management team. But why would you ever come up with a cutesy name for something as well established as free cash flow? Because their free they, cash flow is misleading. Oh, free so, cash they flow numbers, so they calculate it differently. That's why. Right. Their free cash flow numbers are loaded with um, one-time events. Hmm. Like we sold off our convenience stores and then we invested in a stock that went up on hmm. a different company. And hmm. so we end up with all of these sort of one-off things going on in this, in this company that produce numbers that aren't sustainable. Hmm. And so management wants to come front and center with its investors, which I thought, wow, Everybody should be that honest, right? Front and center and say, okay, what we really have after we remove capital expenditures, um, after we do everything we're going to do, this is what we've got left. And here's the number they came up with. It's uh, essentially $2.5 billion. And that produces, if we use that number as an owner earnings number, which is pretty reasonable, Given how they're, um, this is their number that they came mm -hmm. out with, or your own mm -hmm. number? No, this is their number they came up with. Their quote unquote restocking restock Kroger, Kroger two point five billion available to restock Kroger. Okay, all right, and that sounds a lot like an owner earnings number to me from the way they're calculating it, which produces you know you multiply by ten and you get a ten cap value here that we would pay or a price we would pay. And that's $25 billion. Well, guess what? Kroger's selling for $23 billion right now. Really? Yeah. So huh. they've crawled back up to, um, depending on how you see the future for Kroger, a fairly viable price if we don't go any deeper than that, right? Just a very rough, mm -hmm. don't, don't, don't go out and buy Kroger, you guys. The whole idea of this podcast is 
for education and entertainment only. For and this sure. is not for you to be taking advice or recommendations. We don't make recommendations and we don't give you advice. Um, and I want to emphasize that not just because of the Securities Exchange Commission, which regulates these these kinds of conversations, but also, and as they should, um, but also because that really is important that you make your own decisions, not deciding to do something because Danielle's doing it or not doing it. What she's doing or I'm doing or not doing should be completely, well, I won't say completely irrelevant. It should be relevant, but it's not a final determinant. Right. No, it's it's useful, we hope, but but yeah. you should be figuring out your own stuff. And the fact, I mean, right there, I'm like ultra skeptical of whatever this strangely branded number is. I have no idea how they got that. So Well, okay. even, even so, assume for a second that it's right, that it's, okay. it is the perfect owner <laughs> earnings number. It's the perfect and, number. And, oh, hey, we could buy this for $25 billion and be at a pretty good price. And it's selling right now for $23 billion, which means it is potentially on sale. But what we have to look at is, okay, and where's it going to be in 10 years? Yeah, yeah. Is this going to be a bigger, more productive business in 10 years? And do we really understand this business? Does this business reflect our values? Do we understand the management team that's running this business? And how does this company protect itself from competition if we're expecting it to be around in 10 years? Now, those are the key questions we got to ask, right? Do I understand this business? Does it have an intrinsic, durable, uh, competitive advantage to the rest of the grocery stores out there? I know I like the management team, and is it, apparently it's on sale. So exactly. that's the whole point of looking at the impact of Whole Foods um, being owned by Amazon. Amazon, a massive disruptor, all right? of big box stores, of everything out there. Amazon is out to disrupt. And what they've done with Whole Foods in the last uh, year is they've cut their prices pretty dramatically. Well, at least according to a leaked tape of John Mackey speaking to an Amazon uh, group of executives, they've increased their, sales, their margins. Their, no, no, no. Their sales have gone up. Oh, I, checked, I thought you said I their checked, margins. Went I up. did, but I told you wrong. <laughs> I checked back. I checked my oh, source. I'm glad you double checked it. <laughs> I was about to tell the world some not true. I don't just randomly because, say stuff. And and was I skeptical that their margins you were had increased while their prices skeptical. went down? You were like, what? What? Silence. That doesn't work. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And you said, what? Silence. Good. I'm glad you caught that. So their sales went up. Yeah, not a surprise. Their, their same margins stores, probably went down. This is from a businessinsider.com article from June. Mm -hmm. June? I'm pretty sure it's from June. So just um, yesterday almost. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this there's like no information about Whole Foods out there. I mean, no. you know, we're talking about what's Whole Foods doing compared to Kroger and Sprouts, and we don't know what Whole Foods is doing compared to Kroger and Sprouts because now it's in the Amazon black box. And when the next um, annual report comes out, it'll be really interesting to see what they say about Whole Foods. But what this article said, it, w it was some leaked audio from an internal meeting that John Mackey had with Amazon employees. And he said that the biggest drivers of Whole Foods, same store sales growth. So same store that their sales numbers have gone up. 
And that was the discounts for Prime for Amazon Prime members that you just mentioned, essentially cutting prices for people who are Prime members. And then um, and then that they now deliver Whole Foods groceries through Amazon Prime. Um, uh, but here's is what it said about profit margins. So I wasn't totally off. Um, that Amazon is improving profit margins by minimizing out of stock items and leveraging its scale to get lower prices from existing suppliers, which is mm. like ultra obvious, right? Of course, that's what <laughs> it's what they've been doing for everybody's <laughs> business. They've been hacking away at the uh, at the price by having volume <laughs> that nobody else can get, and this, yeah. of course, is you know exactly the the model that Amazon has been in forever. And it's incredibly effective. It's so hard to compete against when you know you're producing le- you're you're producing less sales, and these other guys have lower prices. It's really tough to be to beat that. Now, Kroger, so I think, but I think, Dad, what we expected to happen was that Amazon would crack this disruption like quickly, and that hasn't happened. We haven't seen some big change in Whole Foods stores. We haven't seen a big like roll out of whoa amazon is taking over grocery all of a sudden we haven't seen that right right very true but one year no time we we with growth of of an industry change of an industry it's more glacial time rather than immediate so the impact for example of amazon on bookstores started what 1996 or something yeah, we're talking I think 20 right. years ago 97 i think yeah. yeah, 20 years ago, and Barnes & Noble is just starting to really shrink now. Well, I mean, right? they've been They're really cutting down the size yeah. of their stores. Yeah, and, but you know. let me add one more reason that it might not have happened quite so quickly. Okay. John Mackey said, again, in this, article, in this leaked audio, that he has been having massive disagreements with Amazon executives. Uh-huh. They've been fighting. And what he's been fighting for is the culture of his company. Ah, and that yes. is exactly what so many people who love Whole Foods were worried about when Amazon bought them. Because that company, that those stores, the people who work there, it's all about the vibe, the culture, the high quality, the deep caring about where the food comes from. And Amazon's whole thing is not that. <laughs> Amazon's whole thing is efficiency and we get it to you quick and we get you anything you want immediately and those two things might not always work well together and and i would say probably don't so i wonder I was, if I was some thinking of this actually i mean mackie jumped into amazon's arms as a, because he was getting hounded by hedge fund guys who were absolutely going to destroy the culture oh, of whole yeah. foods yeah yeah but i and i think he did it because he and, and bezos probably had a talk and i'm sure that john said something about this in in no uncertain terms. Look, we're going to keep the culture. And I bet Bezos said, yeah, we are. And I don't see anything really immediately that jumps to my mind about how efficiency would disrupt the the Whole Foods culture. I mean, the mission is still there. I've already heard it from a lot of people who shop at Whole Foods. What happened? Haven't you heard this from friends? I mean... It's like you go in there and it's not Whole Foods anymore. You go in there and the employees don't care as much. They they're busier. They've got I don't I don't know, targets they have to meet of some sort or 
or they have to cover more of the store. Basically, they have more requirements on them and they don't have the time to chat with you about the products anymore. I've heard this Ooh. from a number of people. Um, Ooh, the prime uh, discounts <clears throat> are all, you know, there are signs for it all over the place. And I think that's okay, but it's a bit of a, if you're not a prime member, it's a bit of like an advertisement everywhere. It just doesn't feel that nice. Well, I think school's still out. I mean, I don't doubt that there are going to be an element of hardcore whole food shoppers who are going to quit because it's now so quitting. corporate. I think it's just that. I, I think I could see that they would. I mean, you know, but Mackey has gone through this kind of change before. I mean, you remember when he started the company, it, he was a socialist and all of his friends were in the extreme left side of Austin, which is the extreme left side of Texas. And they the impact he found of the realities of running a business made him abandon socialism and embrace capitalism mm-hmm. and uh, become a libertarian. Of capitalism. Well, his own conscious version his of it. His own yeah. conscious version, yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and so he had to go through, and he's gone through the disruption as well when, when he's advocating changing farming practices and all kinds of people, including PETA, would come at him like he was the enemy because he wasn't doing it fast enough. Yeah. He wasn't using his power quickly enough. And there, yeah. there's just, you know, so a lot of times you're going to see people who have an ideal that they think that Whole Foods should be. And Mackie is a pragmatist and, and is going after the true process of changing the world. I agree. Um, and he's defending his company. He's defending his right. baby. He's defending his culture. And it's working. That's the and cool maybe part. that's why there hasn't been as much disruption, which I think was your point. Yeah, that it, it he hasn't. That's exactly he slowed my point. down the Amazon steamroller. He may have. Um, I mean, we don't know, but he may have. Yeah, and it may be for the long term better of keeping really high quality food out there and available, um, even more available to more of us. I hope. I hope they go more international. Um, well, I, I'll tell you that I don't think I'm ready to change my uh, my thesis about the future of the of the industry. Um, it's I think you either get on board or get out. You get on board the Amazon Whole Foods train and compete with them on price and quality, or you're going to get toasted. Yeah, and I and that's why I would be very hesitant about jumping in to a Kroger or a Sprouts um, well, let's, at this point. Well, let's talk about Sprouts and Kroger a little bit more next time. And um, also Walmart and Target are very interesting. Yeah, there's there's a couple of big heavyweights that, that and Costco that can continue to actually compete very well against Amazon potentially. Yeah, so let's talk about Sprouts a bit next time. Okay, sounds good. All right. Until then, time to go play. Thanks, See everybody. You guys. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, show notes, and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because... I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.